Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we're here today for the Friday conversation with some friends. And uh, we'll go ahead and go around the room. Nicholas, will you kick us off with some introductions, please? Oh, hey, yeah. Uh, my name is Nicholas Kaufman. This is my second time on Steve's show, and I'm really happy to be back here. Um, uh, uh, over my shoulder, you can see uh, the legendary star of social media, King Meow, uh, our, our uh, orange <laughs> tabby. Um, and yeah, no, I'm just really, I'm really happy to be here. And, uh, and PD? Uh, PD Kasich here. Uh, PD is for prematurely decomposed, which I am. And I'm pleased to be anywhere at this point in my life. So there you go. Well, thanks for joining us. <laughs> it's going to be, a, it's going to be a night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hello, I'm Liana Renee Heber and I am in the middle of a book tour, uh, for, uh, what the book that is behind me and in front of me, A Haunted History of Invisible Women, True Stories of America's Ghosts. So um, this is uh, this is the latest. It's my debut nonfiction, but mostly I've done fiction. So I've got 16 fiction books out there, mostly gothic gas lamp fantasy. So I will be happy to talk about any of the various other things I do as well, um, because I'm also an actress, an audiobook narrator, and a ghost tour guide. Wow. Yeah. We do have lots and lots of questions for you. Um, <laughs> but I, I first want to thank Nicholas because you actually uh, suggested the two, uh, the two of the guests tonight. And I understand you all know each other. You have, go way back. So how did how did you meet everyone? How did everyone come together? Um, uh, well, I think I had met uh, Trish Kasich probably at, at uh, Nikon or maybe even one of the Bram Stoker it was, Awards. It was HWA years and years ago, back when I was secretary of HWA. It must have been the 90s then. Yeah. Um, and actually, Trish uh, bought my very first professionally published story, my first story of, of any uh, yeah. kind um, yeah. for an anthology. And, I, and uh, so she's been a, a very important part of my life ever since. Well, I, I'm also a first reader for a publisher. And uh, it, it's hard reading a lot of stories, but it's always finding that one gem that one diamond and you go oh my god and that's what i felt when i read next story i went okay this kid is going to be good and i guess i can say kid i'm 70 years old and all of you can be my children well, this, <laughs> this was uh this was 22 years ago so yeah I, I was a kid you was a kid yes i was <laughs> not a kid but anyway um but yeah no it's finding those gems it's finding the, the one story and you kind of go it's not going to be another stephen king but this kid this person has a voice and I want to share it. And you know, saying back hundred billion years ago, uh, when I was starting, um, not too many women in horror and the women that were there were a little conservative about helping other women. Mm -hmm. So my big thing right now is finding women, you know, women horror writers and, uh, you can ask a few of the ladies from Nikon. I've gone up to them going, you are sending the lame tree a book, aren't you? Don't don't walk away from me. You know, come here. <laughs> what book are you sending me? I want to hear it. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little um, on the other end, trying to push. And male writers too. Good stories is what you know. I love. So. And I think I was in introduced to Leanna at one of the KGB readings, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, famed KGB bar here in New York City oh, by our mutual God. friend, Gordon Lindsner. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Gordon's been a, a wonderful connector. Um, be, and I met Gordon because we were both tour guides. So mm -hmm. it's an interesting, you know, it's, storytellers will find a way to meet other storytellers and ghost, uh, you know, whether it's a, my time as a ghost tour guide or just a general New York City tour guide. Um, it's definitely a, been a wonderful way to sort of hone storytelling from that uh from that perspective. But yeah, absolutely. Um, KGB is just such a wonderful connector of, you know, professionals at every stage of the business. Everyone who's there is really committed to science fiction and fantasy and horror. Um, and uh, yeah, Matt Crossell and Ellen Datlow want do a wonderful series. So that was definitely where we met. And just it was like, you know, hearing each other's stories through the years and reading through the years has just been it's been a very exciting thing to kind of be able to sort of touch back down in people's orbits. And that must have been the mid 2000s when, mm -hmm. when we were introduced, when you first yep. came to New York. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I came to New we... York in 2005 and I tried to get right involved in the scene as best and as, as soon as I could, because I moved to New York to pursue both theater and publishing. So I knew that that was the center of everything. And so I needed to figure out how how New York City was going to sort out my professional artistic life. And uh, uh, it's it sorted it out, <laughs> certainly, um, for better, for worse. But uh, but I'm not complaining because I'm still working in the arts. So. And as, as I recall, we bonded quite quickly over our mutual love of Richard Armitage, the uh, the British actor who uh, my my wife Alexa is also in love with. I mean, he is partial the inspiration for uh, the hero of my debut novel for first absolute certain. So it was one of those things where it's like north and south directly went into my brain into the Strangely Beautiful series. Absolutely. What's not Richard Armitage was was uh, Alan Rickman. So mm. I mean, a beautiful pairing. I see a physical similarity between the two of them too. So I think I mean, you definitely they have, have a type. I mean, I clearly do. And and brooding gothic hero types. So obviously, hello. So yes, so, and, and the rest is history. I guess Richard Armitage is best known now for uh, being one of the dwarves in the Hobbit movies. Sure, but it's North and South for me. And, and yeah. so so if you if people watching, if you've not watched the BBC adaptation of Elizabeth Gaskell's brilliant North and South, it is, in fact, amazing. <laughs> Brought to you list. by. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by PBS. Support <laughs> <laughs> the arts. Yes, please. please, please call, and they'll give you a mug. And uh, <laughs> see, oh, I, 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 I got a, I got a bag. <laughs> see, I, I, I am so mad that my one of my earliest obsessions when I was about seven years old was uh, Tom Baker as Doctor Who, mm. and. Um, and I just am really mad that I never got one of the heat changing TARDIS mugs back in the day that they would oh, yeah. leave out on the, on when you would call in. And I just, I'm, I still, I want one of those still. I mean, I know they make modern ones, but no, I like, yeah, I want one Amazon. of those. Yeah. One of the really, that's, that's fair. Probably eBay has one that's from I, the seventies. So <laughs> I remember those PBS fundraisers during Doctor Who so well with the phones manned by the Pridonians of Princeton. Yes. Uh, which was a, a group yeah. of Doctor Who fans from Princeton University <laughs> in New Jersey. Yeah, and they all had the long scarves. And, yes. you know, every every once in a while, you might find somebody with a stock of celery. Absolutely. <laughs> <their> lapel. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, no, that's really, honestly, like, I owe a lot of my, I, I owe a lot of my being a, you know, fantasy storyteller to Doctor mm -hmm. Who being, like, my literal earliest obsession. Um, it really... Kind of That's so funny. Down. I didn't know I had that in common with you. I've been watching Doctor Who since I was a kid when the uh, the first four seasons of Tom Baker's run came <laughs> to the U.S. as a syndication package and they would just replay 
robot through invasion of time on a loop. See, I'm a goth, so state of decay. I mm -hmm. imprinted on the vampires like, like they like that. Like that was like, are you my mother? Yeah. So that was <laughs> that was me and the vampires. So it, that was a great day. one. <laughs> it's the best. Anyway, sorry to derail you. I love right away. you guys saw this Tom Baker as, as kid. As an adult, when I saw Tom Baker, he's still my first doctor. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You never forget but, your uh, first. My first too, so he'll always be my favorite. And those ones that they showed over and over again is my favorite run mm -hmm. because it is ingrained into my yeah. system. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I have to say, I you know I love them all, but I do feel a kinship to Peter Capaldi, the older doctor. Yes, older is good. Yay! I love yeah. him. As a crabby old man myself, I feel very close <laughs> to him. Well, he's a brilliant actor, and I've always loved him. Yeah. I mean, I remember. Well, um, he was in the adaptation of, uh, of Neverwhere and, um, uh, that was fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, I've just, I've loved him in, in, he's been in all kinds of wonderful things. Um, and yeah. it's always fun when you, when you get a doctor who's also been a day player on a previous Doctor Who episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, I think the, I think the first episode of New Who that I saw was the one, the Pompeii one where he's the yeah. father. Yeah. So it's just, it's kind of, it's always fun when that comes full yeah, circle. It's always good to have, you know, incestuous relationships with the doctor because why not? <laughs> the doctor. I can't Absolutely. wait for this new season. I am so ready. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I mean, I was always, I, I knew I was going to be excited to see David Tennant again. So it's just, however, they're going to work that. I'm very excited. Um, well, I did hopefully... almost, I did fall off the couch when I saw the last episode. Went, right. What? Right. And right. I'm going, so what? <laughs> Right, it was the best. It was the best. I'm so about to. I'm about to spoil the, the last Doctor episode. Who, uh, you know, channel here. I know, right? <laughs> there were <laughs> things I absolutely loved about the last episode. You know, and uh, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet. But there were some familiar faces that showed up that actually just bowled me over. Oh, I cried uh, like a baby. God, yes, yes, yes. I yes. openly wept. Hmm. I would I have cried wept. if I had human emotions. Yeah. Well, this is well. <laughs> so the. The uh, Cybermen got to you. Uh, that, that explains the headset, I guess. It's just yes. an elaborate. This, my major that's Tom a, headset. That's a disguise. Yeah. You're, just a visual, uh, you're just a visual. You're just a background, a human skin background. Yeah. Well, yes, he is. I mean, you know him. I mean, what did I ever do to you, Leanna? What did I ever do to you? You said you didn't have you're human emotions, so I'm just assuming you're a Cyberman. Come on, like this is what this is what we do can as I Doctor Who a, fans. You're like, wait a minute. Book question? Yes. Can I ask a book question? Invisible sure. women. Yeah. Okay, and I love that. I, I definitely want to uh, read that because I have reached that point in my life. How's that? It's it's an interesting. We're we're trying to play. Um, so the full title is a haunted history of invisible women. Um, if you look up invisible women, that's actually a different book about uh, invisibility in la in the labor force. But um, a haunted history of invisible women. We are doing a bit of a play on that that concept of who is and who isn't visible in society. We're using this to talk about ghost stories. So in this case, yeah. the invisible woman is the idea of a transparent spirit. But um, we're it is a nonfiction book uh, that is part women's studies, part true history, and part ghost story. And then we also um, debunk some of the myths and some of the legends and some of the absolute lies uh, told about all kinds of famous or not famous women and kind of like get into the truth of the matter. Um, for instance, Sarah Winchester was not 
a madwoman uh, just building this uh, long and labyrinthine, uh, endless mansion out in California because she was pursued by the oh. spirit of those killed by the Winchester rifle. No, I mean, she just honestly was a bit of a of a hobbyist architect and she had enough money to kind of let that house be her sketchbook. So that's the truth of it. It's just that it became a big ghost story because that was much more profitable for uh, the Definitely. house when the house became a, a, a haunted attraction um, after her death. So it's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting, you know, we're, we're trying to lead with real history and respect for the dead and um, kind of give some of these women back their stories whose stories were literally kind of got, uh, that ran away, ran away from them, um, mm -hmm. often not by their own making, so. When you set out to debunk stories like that, where do you start? Uh, where, where, with your process, where do you start to investigate and to get uh, to get the, the real story behind the myth? Well, in the case of the Winchester House, I went to the Winchester House mm -hmm. um, and I met with the house historian. Um, the house historian at the Winchester Mystery House is a relatively new position. Um, and so you can tell that the Mystery House itself is trying to grapple with the years of its own falsehoods. And so Janin Boehm, who is the house historian, was a great, she was the great uh, kind of uh, guide through this, quite literally, as I got to go places in the house that were like not open to the public. It was really wonderful because um, I had contacted the house and said, hi, I'm going to be writing a chapter about this house for this book. And I I come at this already with a deep love for Sarah Winchester and, and an interest in her philanthropy. She's extraordinarily generous during her lifetime. And I feel like she's been done wrong by, you know, by, by things. And so, um, so I was met very with a very receptive audience in that. And then um, there's honestly looking for biographies are very helpful if there have been biographies and then looking at the bibliographies in the biographies. Um, there wasn't much in terms of biographies on Sarah Winchester, except for one that's very comprehensive called Captive of the Labyrinth um, by Mary Jo Ignafo. And it's a spectacular, um, deeply researched uh, st study of her life. And so I'm, I'm forever indebted to that book in particular. It was really about finding like a few main sources that I've really felt were, um, uh, were accurate, were not sensationalizing. So I think the things that seemed like they didn't really have their own angle or um, things that were like literally uh, court transcripts or literally a coroner's report. Um, some of those things are out there. Um, it was very helpful that in my chapter about the Hotel do Coronado and Kate Morgan, the beautiful stranger, this woman who had uh, unfortunately taken her own life outside of the uh, Hotel Coronado in uh, um, San Diego off Coronado Island. Um, there, there was a full, uh, you know, ha had been a full public access uh, um, story of the, of, the coroner's report of defining her and what what had happened uh, during leading up to finding her and um, and so the the hotel published a book called The Beautiful Stranger that had compiled everything that they knew from fact because her story had gotten run away with itself too in terms of other people claiming this that or the other thing and had happened with with her and maybe even positing more of a mystery than there necessarily was um so it's in some ways some of these historic places have started to grapple with their own runaway narratives so going into that was really helpful because at the end of the day i am interested in these historic locations. I want them to continue to be visited and supported. Um, you know, I, a, a lot of ghost tourism helps keep places open. And that's something that's both 
you have to walk a fine line with it because you have to make sure it's not exploitative and you have to make sure it's respectful. But at the same time, you know, you who can blame a, a historic house museum for wanting to tell its ghost stories to keep its doors open? Right. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm kind of a uh, ghost enthusiast, also investigator. <clears throat> and I'm I, weird things have happened to me. Mm -hmm. But if someone says I have a ghost, I said, show me. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the most skeptical ghost investigators. I'm not a hunter, but things have happened that I can't explain. And the first, first thing I say is, let's go. Oh, we have to wait till dark. Why? Why do you have to wait till dark? Because in the dark, you will definitely see and hear something. Your brain is going to put stuff in. I said, no, go in the morning. Show me. And, uh, oh, well, I said, show me. Hmm. Now, one person, uh, I don't know if you ever saw, oh, dear God, I think it's called Ash Wednesday, Oliver Reed movie, um, Karen Black. I, they, they have this house, and the house, re, you know, regenerates itself. In the, and it's yeah. called Burnt Offerings. Burnt Offerings. Thank yeah. You. Oh, okay. uh, we actually, a friend of mine was a um, beekeeper, and she said, do you want to come up to this place? Because they have a bee hive in the wall and i said great and it was a burnt offering house and i went oh. do you know what this is she goes yeah it was a movie I went, yeah it wasn't a movie um so they said the well it's a movie they said it was haunted i went show me let's go so um the beehive took an entire wall in the second story and you could hear the bees and if you just touched the wall the honey would come down so while she's wow. doing that, I got the person that said, ghosts? She said, well, it's in the attic. Let's go. Well, it's dark. Let's go. It's daylight. Let's go. So we went up there. And um, sometimes I, if my eyes suddenly turn blue, and people have told me this, I've never seen anything, but, you know, that's a good indication something's going on. Uh, I usually get some kind of little feeling in my tummy. But I went in the attic, and I said, okay. Let's see. And I went to the window to look out because hell, that was in the movie. I wanted to look out, you know, like they did. And the minute I stepped in there, it was like I was entering a room with a closed door. There was no sound. And I stepped back and there was a line on the floor that had been a room. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. I said, what's going on here? And the person looked at me like when my phone, when my computer wouldn't work with the microphone, they're looking at me like, what? And I kind of said louder. And they said, what? And I stepped back. Did you hear me? No. What, it, it's a dead spy. I said, well, there's something going on. Mm -hmm. hmm. But uh, we were talking about Gordon Lisner, you know, introducing people. He sometimes uh, uses me as a monitor ghost hunter or whatever it's called he took me to um he said do you want to see the tr uh triangle shirtwaist factory fireplace oh god yeah well, we'll go see that and um he didn't he said i'm not going to tell you where it is i said great so walking and i'm on a corner and i look across the street and there's this victorian house in uh, red sandstone and it's got this these old-fashioned, you know, gas bulb, you know, by the door. And one blinks on. 
in Blankstorf? I said, oh, it's over there. So it's that place. And he goes, yeah. I said, well, you know, the light on this Victorian blinked on and off. And he's looking at me like, okay, Trish is gone. Bye-bye now. And so we went to the place. I'm like, great. A couple of years later, we went back. I said, oh, wait a minute. We're in the same area. He goes, yeah, it's right there. And I looked across the street and there was no Victorian. It was the school building, you know, like the administration building. I went, uh, <laughs> uh, he goes, what? He said, that's where I saw. He said, I was wondering what the hell you were looking at because there was nothing there that I went, okay. So okay, <laughs> I see. Building. Yeah, I was I was wondering, I was like, what block do you think that was on? Right. I was I was also thinking I know the building and I was like, there are no gas lamps. No, no. And then it was an old, you know, red redstone with the orange mm -hmm. stairs in well, my and there's certainly those buildings along the other sides of Washington Square Park for sure. So it's mm -hmm. not, you know, that certainly would would have been there back in the yeah, day. But certainly. I saw it. Yeah. Spooky. It real mm -hmm. to me. Well, that's, I mean, that's funny because that's the first, the first chapter in this book is, uh, is about, uh, it's called Industrial Monsters and it is about the Triangle Fire um, because you mm -hmm. can't, you can't talk about women's history and not talk about how many women died out of the 146 that died. 123 of them were women as young as 14 years old. Yeah. And it is just, it's a harrowing thing. Um, and so we, we definitely, it's a very, very important site to talk about for certain. And it's such a, there's such a psychic resonance yeah. in that area. It's such a palpable thing. Well, um, as, yeah. yeah, it's. And yeah, I, there was a point where I just went, okay. Or the um, five point massacre. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I stopped and said, what happened here? Mm -hmm. Or where the, uh, took me to Roosevelt Island. I, and I turned to the ocean. I said, what happened out there? And he told Oof. me, went, okay, would you stop <laughs> bringing me yeah. please? Wow. Uh, we, we went on the subway after 9-11. That's the first time I went back. And he didn't tell me where we were going. But I said, we're close. It's cold. And he said, how do you know? I said, it's cold. And didn't you see that blue light? <laughs> he goes, no one saw that blue light. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, what's interesting that you say about the blinking light, though, is that every time I have gone by um, the Ash Building, which uh, that was the original name of the building that the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory was in, the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors of the Ash Building, it is now the Brown Building, renamed uh, when NYU took over. It's a biological sciences uh, part of NYU now. Um, but there is a exterior light that flickers and blinks constantly that has not been repaired or restored in and or maybe if it does it just keeps blinking um yeah. because but most most times i've been by that taking uh, guests on any, any of our tours um i work for a company called burrows of the dead and that's it's new york's uh, top ghost tour company um run by uh andrea james my co-author of this book so it was our teaming up uh as as ghost tour guides that was you know re a real key to this book's success but mm. it's that blinking light there's something interesting in that like the your sort of time travel moment yeah there's something about that flickering light that's still there even in the modern edifice yeah mm. yeah so you know things like i said you know i'm i'm the skeptic i would say show me right exactly right i saw it you know yeah. 
Yeah, you have to be, I mean, going into this, and, and that's another thing with with the, with our book is that we we go in as skeptics first. Um, and I, I am a believer, but I'm a believer second. And Andrea is a little bit more of a skeptic. So we've got the good, uh, the Mulder Scully vibe going. Um, <laughs> but we really try to keep that very much on the back burner of the book. We really don't want to lead people because you can, you can lead people so easily. People oh want to believe or they want to have experiences and or they don't want to believe and they don't want to have experiences. And so people are so suggestible. We are, our imaginations are wonderful, powerful things and we will create something. So well, I don't want to look at the ghost hunters on tv is like oh, oh my oh, yeah. god <laughs> yeah i have a, i have a hard time with a lot of those shows because they go in with a lot of antagonism sometimes and they want to like you know yell at the spirits and i'm like no 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 no. i go in with actual interest in actual well, history and respect like, for the dead like everything the else they go to like mexico can you hear me hello you're in mexico do you think you should learn spanish <laughs> I always think it's funny when they're just in a dark room and they're like, oh my God, something brushed my leg. And we're supposed to believe them. Uh -huh. right? They're just standing there saying things like, do you, do you feel that? It's very cold now. And it's like, no, this is on television. We Don't we, can't, we can't the, verify the any of this. I saw uh, Josh Gates does one too. And they had a camera set up on this one guy doing, you know, call and responses. Like, you know, I would love to do that. You know, I'd call and response. But he suddenly zoomed out of shot backwards and went, hmm, that's interesting. How do they do that? But so show me the picture again of your book, Invisible Women. A Haunted History of Invisible Women, True Stories of America's Ghosts. That's good. And yeah. I, I kind of look like one of your invisible women with this lighting. So you know, no, see, I like it. I think <laughs> I think it's fantastic. It's, it's got that yeah. wonderful silvery ghostly glow. Well, unfortunately, yes, I am going silvery now. Well, I, I, I had a friend say, oh, oh well. how'd you get those low lights? I said, live 70 years. It works. It, it, <laughs> it wears, you wear it well. Thank you. Well, yeah, I'm not going to die anything. And no, our poor I'm, not, going. I'm, I'm just not either when it, when oh. I, with, with this really, really long hair, when it goes like white, it's going to be spectacular. I'm going to scare children. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I do that. I do that. I like that. I've actually had the pleasure of hearing Leanna read twice uh, from the, uh, A Haunted History of Invisible Women. She does a great job. And last time, which was just on Tuesday, I actually picked up a copy of the book myself. And she was kind enough to sign it to me. Right. Now, you're going to be at AuthorCon? I will not. not. I, will. I will not. Okay. I was going to go. That's the one down in uh, Williamsburg, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, my schedule just sort of went topsy-turvy, and I, I'm not going to be able to go. Um, but uh, it looks like it's going to be a great time. And uh, yeah, you're going, I'm, aren't you, Trish? I'm actually going to go. Yeah, it's the first time in years. Uh, I was going to go to Philcom and something happened at the last moment. I went, oh, well, it's a good thing I wasn't put on a schedule, which is the first time I went, oh, look, I'm invisible. They don't know me. Okay. Really? And then I tried to get, I'm going to, I'm going to plug myself now. Yeah. Sebastian. I could bring him out here. He's actually right by my desk. Don't ask. Um. <laughs> You have the actual doll that, that you based it on? The mannequin, yeah. Oh, my God. Hmm. Give me Sebastian. We're now into haunted doll territory. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's... So tell us about Sebastian. Well, funny story. Um, I don't listen. I don't like mannequins or dolls. I don't like dolls. Um, 
I used to, I, I'm a girl of a certain age. I was, you know, I'm 70, so I, I would get Barbie dolls. Do you know that if you put a Barbie doll under your dad's front tire and he backs up, she implodes? It's lovely. Hmm. I'm not strange. Anyway. <laughs> so JCPenney's King of Prussia was going out of business. And um, I have a hobby called vulching. If anything's going out of business, I go looking for bargains. So I was there and I saw all these row and row of mannequins up against the wall. And I'm going, uh, and I saw this little mannequin all by himself. And I took my purchases up to the woman. I said, how much for that one? He cost me $35 and I was with a friend, you know, said, okay, you drive and we'll, you know, so I'm holding this naked two-year-old mannequin. And he goes, what the hell is that? I said, this is Sebastian. And the minute I said that, I had the entire novel in my head. Hmm. So sometimes it works. <laughs> Amazing. You literally manifested an entire book in this yeah. in this creepy doll exchange. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, he's, not, he's not creepy. He's okay. You're fine. He's actually been on stage. <laughs> <laughs> they brought him to be on stage. He's had more playtime than I have. So, uh, <laughs> Mannequin of many talents. I tell you, and he's going to come with me to uh, AuthorCon, so, you know. Great. Three pictures with Matt now. Matt. And Sebastian has his own YouTube channel, right? Well, he, he can, but he's very quiet. Yeah. He just stands there. I guess it's like, hard with no mouth. This is true. Uh, he's a great, uh, I dress him up for Halloween and uh, scares people. He That was my original thoughts. Oh, I can dress him for Halloween and picked him up. And then the story came and went, okay, okie dokie. So sometimes, what can I say? Sometimes inspiration happens. And, uh, yeah, only one major point of view in that, not like my other one, you know, Second Lives had, I think, 14 different voices. So that was fun. But Sebastian only has one. So there's that. Hmm. But yeah. But anyway, I was trying to say invisible women. I was trying to get, uh, went to the local bookstores, you know, had all my stuff here. This is me. I, you know, not one of them called. Oh man! So I've become invisible. And you've been in this industry a long time. I mean, your your first I, novel. Yeah. Well, I've been writing before. Yeah, I started writing when I was five. Wow. I started getting stories published when I was okay. I was trying to get published stories when I was in my teens. Okay. Nothing. 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 And I looked up one day and said, "Okay, great." I'm 39. If I cannot get anything published by the time I'm 40, that's it. I'm done. I was 39 and three quarters years old when I published my first story. Who says God does not have a sense of humor? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was not a uh, overnight success. But um, if I'm invisible, that's great. They never see me coming. I'm still writing. So. Yeah. So uh, you bought my first story. Who bought your first story? Hmm. Lawrence Watt Evans. No kidding. For the science fiction, science fiction, me, a science fiction anthology, Newer York. Hmm. And this was before Google, mind you. So I went over to AAA, uh, National or Automobile Club of America, and got maps and brochures of new york city because i'd never been there i was living in california at the time i love it my research 
And the story is about a progressive smog bank that basically kills everybody. So it just keeps getting higher and higher. So I didn't have to describe any of these sites except for the tall buildings. You cheat and you get away with it. So yeah, now I've actually been to New York and go, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I will tell you a, uh, another one of my weird like Sebastian moments. Um, I'm writing a new novel when I'm not reading for Flame Tree. Um, and it, it, my son and his girlfriend lived in a little town called Nederland, home of the dead guy days when an uncle had been, died during a you know blizzard and his nephew put him in a shed and forgot about him for a couple of years. Uh, hmm. So it's uh, Stanley Hotel from Stephen King mm -hmm. uh, bought the rights, so they were going to have dead guy days. So. But Nederland is this cute little mining town up in Colorado. And I said, well, I'm not going to set it in Nederland. I'm going to make up a town up the hill. And then my son and his girlfriend, who are going to get married in sometime next year, um, went and found a house in this little town called Ward, Colorado. And I said, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll have to see it. So I'm sitting here writing this stuff. And I got to see Ward and went, hmm. That's the town I described. I, it looks like the town. And then I have this character who has this house. And uh, I said, oh, come see the house. He went, oh, yeah, I see the house, that the one I described without ever mm. seeing it. So, oh, wow. yeah, my, my muse gets out a lot more than I do. <laughs> uh, I don't have a clue. Wow. Yeah. Welcome mm. to my world. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible when you tap into something and then you and then it becomes manifest. It's actually the the chapter that Nicholas was describing um, in Haunted History of Invisible Women is called Unreliable Narrator, and it's actually following um, the account of Jan Bryant Bartell as she lived in New York City's most haunted house. And there's moments in this chapter as I'm reading her book and she's talking about a weird synergy of she'll think something or or find something is important and then the next day it will become immediately relevant. And that start, stuff starts to happen to me. I, I think of a backstory for, for this particular haunted location without knowing all of its details. And then I realize I've actually written this historic thing that then I find out happens in this narrative. And it's this absolutely really time warpy kind of uh, makes you feel like, wait, what, what radio signal have I tuned into at this mm -hmm. moment? And it's in 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 the in the case of the unreliable narrator chapter, it's actually ended up being just really harrowing for me. Normally, it's like pretty hmm. joyful of an occurrence when that happens, uh, but when it's happening in a, a dress that has a really really dark history, um, a place where people actually have been killed, it is that, that that is less fun. Have you ever been to New Hope, Pennsylvania? Oh yeah, I love New Hope. It's fascinating. Okay, I got to live there for about eight months once. But before that, a friend took me there. He said, oh, you'll love it. It's artsy-fartsy. It's so you. I'm like, great. <laughs> so we went there, part, and it was like I was coming home. I knew mm -hmm. where every store was. I knew where everything was. Um, hmm. I knew the backstory. I started writing a novel, and I put in the backstory of every freaking ghost without mm -hmm. going on the ghost tour first. Uh, I used to walk, you know, before going to bed at you know, three o'clock in the morning in New Hope. It was not the town it is now, which is now lower, lower Manhattan, but it was, you know, back, it's just New Hope. 
and there were, I heard footsteps behind me, footsteps behind me. I went, biker? And my dad was a Marine, so he did teach me a few hand-to-gland moves. So I had my keys with me, and I, you know, positioned them, and I spun, and there was nobody there. I went, oh, okay, come with me. So I figured, you know, and this footsteps followed me all the way home. And I mentioned that to um, one of the uh, bartender guys at Mother's, used to be a restaurant there. He goes, oh, that's Aaron Burr. He does that. If a woman is out, he will make sure she gets home. I said, oh, dang, or somebody had attacked me. I would have loved to have seen what happened. <laughs> that's going to be cool. Challenge them to a duel. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I said, some, things like that have happened to me since I was little. When I was very little, my grandmother um i'm second generation american on her side yeah come from old country you know very old country and sometimes my grandmother's friends would stop by and say tell your grandmother goodbye and i say okay and they disappear and i go to my grandmother and say you know so and so said goodbye and then we get the news and my grandmother hmm. would say don't tell anybody theater no no they burn you at the state Okay, we're not going to see them anymore. <laughs> so yeah, they say tell you. I, say, oh, I will go away. <laughs> I don't want to be burned at the stake, you know. But that was normal for me. Yeah, those kinds of you know people who have abilities a lot of times get that sort of stomped out of them by by fear. Um, and a lot of times it's actually warranted of you know of parents and loved ones being like, no, 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 don't want to talk about that because people are going to think of this or that or the other about you. This certainly was the case for me because I had. Uh, experiences that I also had to kind of not talk about until I yeah. started making a career in ghost stories, and then it, now it's all fair game. But well, you know, uh, they don't—they don't want you to be looked at differently. Mm -hmm. Hello, I'm different. Come on, we're all yeah. different. That's fine. But you know, it's like um, my sons did that; and it went fine. You know, I, I do like—I uh, watch a lot of. Um, yeah, Eastern, Oriental Eastern uh, horror. And I love their take on it. You know, we're in this country, you know, oh, you know, I think I'm being haunted. Oh my God, take you some medicine. <laughs> we'll up your dosage, don't worry. In you know, the Oriental culture, it's, let's sit down and talk about it. What do you think they want? And I think mm. it's a little, you know, a little nicer, a little more, mm. you know, human. They said, well, you know, ghosts are scary. I said, why? They're people. Granted, there are a couple of times I have felt some really bad things, and I will occasionally, um, years ago, I used to go with Dallas and Joel, you know, Ross, and we'd go to the city, and we'd be walking at night, and I'd say, I'm going, no, we're not going that way. And Joel would go, listen to her. <laughs> Everybody turn around, and Dallas finally go, yeah, we're follow Trish. Don't, don't go this way. So, yeah, I think it's the you know, radar going, uh, no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's like the house down in Greenwich Village that Leanna was talking about, where yep. you just walk by it and you just feel, mm -hmm. I don't want to be near this house. Yep. Hmm. Yep. That's the one. And it was one that I didn't know any of the backstory about, but it was like, I passed a building that made me absolutely queasy. And then going back to it, it's like, oh, it's that, it's that place. Okay, so we yeah. Have to get together. I'm coming up to New York. Yeah. <laughs> she'll, she'll give you the directions to that house. She's not I'm, going to I'm that house. I'm not going by it unless, unless someone is paying me to give it. Like, I, I do have to go by that house on our ghost tours because it's part of the tour because it's expected. Um, and I and I do, and I don't mind talking about it in terms of I 
people are going to ask questions about it. People are going to expect it. I would rather talk about it with uh, with respect for those who that building has harmed um, with respect and care. Um, and then, you know, guide my audiences across the street to hallowed ground and shake it off. But um, so so I can sort of like, yeah, I, I, just I'm get... the one that does that. And um, yeah. I think so what, what a person told me this years ago says, you have somebody with you. I said, honey, I have a lot of somebody's with me. Mm-hmm. Apparently I can pick them up. Um, mm-hmm. I know Zephyr tried to do it, um, you know, tear on me once and another friend tried to do tear on me once. And they said, how many people are in there? I said, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, maybe, you know, they're the people who go out and do my research for me. I don't know. Can I share a weird experience that happened to me? Yeah. So this I is not, <laughs> this <laughs> is not, it's not like you guys. It's not that I have a sensitivity or, or, or see ghosts or anything like that. This was me messing with something that I shouldn't have messed with. So this was back in my high school days in the 80s. There was a store in New York City called The Magical Child. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, it, it could pass itself off as a new age store, but it was a hardcore witchcraft store, mm-hmm. like uh, Wicca, all this stuff. Uh, and I, you know, I loved reading fantasy. I loved the idea of magic. So I wandered in there one day and picked up a spell book, Oops. kind of blindly. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I did a few things out of the spell book, one of which had to do with trying to contact spirits called undines, which are sort of water spirits. Hmm. Nothing really came of it until one night my radio turned itself on by itself in the middle of the night and was playing a song, a song I'm not sure what it was, but the lyric that I heard has stayed with me to this day. And that lyric was, it's in your soul. (laughs) So the next day, and I've never done this before, and I've never done it since, I burned the book. I Hmm. burned the spell book. But whatever I had touched was still following me because I was working at a a bookstore, the Argosy bookstore, a beautiful used bookstore on 59th Street. I had a summer job there uh, and somebody called up I happened to answer the phone and said, do you have any books on undines? And I was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) nope, nope. Uh, And I think that was pretty much the end of it. It was definitely a situation where I had just, I had messed with something I shouldn't have and I got rid of it as quickly as I could. And it's, it it just gave me a little poke afterwards. Well, Hmm. you, you are sensitive though. Uh, There's a part of you. You are. I told you I don't have human emotions. <laughs> Neither do I. Uh, I don't know if that, that may be true. I don't know. I don't know how to gauge something like that. But it was just a very weird experience, and I, um, I did not. Uh, I did. I did go back to uh, the Magical Child because I, I found it a very fun store, but I didn't pick up any more spell books. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Good plan. Yeah. Good plan. Good plan. And for for Petey and Leanna, when you when you find yourself in a, a situation where you have that really negative feeling that you you can't just walk necessarily walk away from, how do you handle that? What, what do you what steps do you take to diffuse? I guess you could say diffuse the situation. I have a very specific, um, very simple uh, bit of energy work that I do. Um, it's just a little psychic shielding, um, and so and this can be something that anyone can do from any place of their own belief structure, or if you don't 
have a belief structure, that's also fine too. Then you still have your, per you still have your own personal worldview to pull from. Um, you know, everyone has a belief structure, even if it is a belief structure that you yourself have created. So I myself will think of pulling down energy because you don't want to necessarily cast out energy from your own energy because then that will deplete you. So I think about just like taking a deep breath and just drawing in positive energy from like, for me, my favorite element, my favorite element is air. I'm very much um, interested in winged creatures. I've always been really drawn to birds as symbols of, of heavenly things. And so um, I just think of of drawing energy down from sort of a power source. The sky has always felt very powerful to me. So drawing that energy down, taking a deep breath and sort of casting it out from me as if it's like a circle of light that is sort of like bursting out in all directions, sort of mushroom clouding out. And that tends to snap anything that's like any of the negative tendrils that are kind of like creeping up and like making you go like this, that, that feeling in your stomach or the feeling on the back of your neck or that feeling that's like, just kind of like making your breath a little harder, that stuff will kind of just, the tendrils will push back. But this is obviously, you're not creating a wall with this. So it's something you kind of need to re-up as you go and just sort of like, you know, be uh, lead with your own sense of confidence in that. Because I always say to people who are, who feel sort of like they're, they're at the mercy of of any of that. I'm like, no, no, no. We we have living privilege. We are living. These other entities are they, they have a longer timeline. So use your living privilege and be like, no, no, no. This is my space, my time, my boundaries here and now. And in that, the the spirits who sometimes you know wh whether positive or negative, a lot of times they do want to be acknowledged. And so you can be like, that is or isn't okay. Or if it is something that just wants to be acknowledged, you can acknowledge. Be like, hi, hi, I see you here as long as you're not, you know, harming anyone, you know, go with whatever God you believe in or not. So, um, so I, I feel like that sort of psychic shielding work tends to just be at this point, it's become very, um, reflexive for me. I don't, um, if I feel something, I will basically open the door and say, what do you need? What do you want? Um, in New Hope, I was in this haunted house that I'd seen it. Okay. I also have cats, you know, spirits. Thank you so much. Um, but, uh, I, every time I saw this place, I went that room, that room. So we were doing a, um, haunting video for, you know, New Hope. And they said, would you stay overnight? I said, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, big dumb one here, you know, Hey, I've lived long enough. But, um, and it was the room I'd always felt and the room I was drawn to. And it was at the very top of this long attic. And it was a dark and stormy night. Honestly, God, there's no one else in there. And uh, it was uh, the room below had the kissing ghost and we had heard his boots and women would dream of them being, you know, being kissed. And I went, I didn't get that one. So I'm sitting there, you know, no one there and the uh, owners lived in their own house away from this and i'm sitting there listening to the rain watching tv and suddenly i cannot breathe and so i start writing it down i'm going you know part of me is going okay analytical you've done science let's do it so i'm writing down can't breathe you know heavy chest and i'm describing all this and about 30 minutes later nothing 
Okay. And it's, you're supposed to hear the spinning wheel in this room. Okay. I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. So there was a spinning wheel. I said, oh, yeah, made in China. I don't think that one's it. So um, I went to bed. Like, okay, this happened. I have my notes. Nothing happened. Um, and I went to bed. Now, I usually curl up in a fetal position on my side. Um, I was laying flat on my back. My one hand was here, the other hand across my belly. And I heard this noise and went, oh, that's what everybody hears. It's the heater kicking on. Ah, okay. So I went to bed again. I said, okay. It's the heater. Yeah. I, okay. Great. And, and I was still on my back, flat on my back with head not moved. And then it got really light. I said, fine. I hear you. Okay. Quiet. Next morning I get up and the heater came on. I went, oh, so that wasn't what I heard. Hmm. Make another note. And there was books in these rooms saying, um, if you had an experience and I, I did not read it the night before I read it and said, I can't really breathe. I hear this weird noise. I went, okay. And the guy who was doing the video came up and said, Oh, you know, how was it? I said, well, this was weird. And I'm explaining it. And we went down the back stairs and I said, well, you know, at this one, about, you know, five to midnight. And I put my hand on the null post and I suddenly cannot breathe. I start sweating. He goes, Trish, oh my God, are you okay? I said, what do I look like? I said, like you're going to die. And I put my hand, boy, I said, she had consumption. She died. She had consumption. That's why I couldn't breathe. So I become dead people on occasion. Um, at Nikon, the the old Nikon at Rhode Island, we went to uh, Lizzie Borden's house. <laughs> and the first time we went there to stay overnight, was her birthday so we brought cake because you bring axe murderers cake chocolate and vanilla we didn't want to upset her so we did she was never convicted she's in That's this right. book too she was never convicted she was acquitted so we acquitted. don't actually know you, know you want to know what happened apparently uh i oh. walk in and everybody is kind of like a little <laughs> they're just all moving at once because we're in lizzie borden's house staying overnight i walked in uh walked up to the mantel place and I'm just sitting here playing with this key. And it was a, just a skeleton key. And I'm sitting here I'm waiting for the docent to come in. And the docent comes in and, and uh, people are saying, oh yeah, well, you know, and this is Mr. Borden's key. Nobody touched it. And everyone's suddenly look at me and like, what? And they said, okay, go get your room. So I picked up my case and I walked upstairs, took the master bedroom and there was Gordon and Sephra in the room. And uh, they had this stuffed cat because mrs mm. borden my cats it was a black and white stuffed cat it was on the bed and um not a problem you know everybody you know, a couple of people went to bed early they weren't involved and there was another couple there they went to bed early they weren't involved the rest of us stayed we were involved and they were playing like the ouija board and i think okay you guys are funny they said okay well let's do um oh we'll do you know tarot cards and Sephra and I can't remember who else had it and they would lay down a card and each card was identical. They shuffle it. They ask a question, lay down an identical card. Like, hmm, that's interesting. And I'm sitting on the murder settee and uh, one lady said, well, you know, it's really nice except for the cats because I'm allergic to cats and the dozen that we don't have cats. Okay. I would go upstairs to do something, get something. And this cat's stuffed cat 
moved. It would be on the bed. It would be up on the thing. And I would look and go, okay. Didn't bother me. Okay. Came back down and we started hearing things in the dining room behind us where they put the bodies. And at one point, everyone said, I need to, excuse me, I have to do this. Uh, we have to um, go outside and smoke. So Lisa Manelli was there. They all went out as a cubby. And I'm sitting there. And um, my friend Rob Dunbar says, I don't know why I'm doing this. And he goes over to the fireplace and he picks up the shovel. And I go, are you, and I, I say, I, are you, are you mad? And Gordon comes in and takes it from Rob. He doesn't remember doing this. And wipes it and says, no, 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 and puts it back. And I said, Rob, he goes, why are your eyes blue? He said, Rob, go get everybody. <laughs> and so he goes, goes out. And I'm sitting there looking down. And we had wine. So I'm just holding my cup of wine. And I'm looking at the cats licking the blood at my feet. I'm like, ah. It wasn't an axe. It was a shovel. And they come in and people, I'm telling people this, they're going, why are your eyes blue? Shut up. And I said, um, I need a verification, people. They said, what? Look at the arm of the chair. And it was blood drops, but in, in reverse. They were white and they were getting bigger. And we watched it get bigger. Whoa. And then I said, it's over. They said, what? It's warm again. Don't you feel it? I'm like, yeah. I said, okay, good night. I went upstairs, went to bed. <laughs> and they, the next morning, we had to get up early to move our cars out of the uh, uh, Greyhound bus terminal or they would have ticketed us. And I kid you not, and Sephra and Gordon can verify, um, I woke up a little early before the alarms went off and the door that led to the downstairs kitchen. Said, Thank you. <laughs> Who was that? I said, Nothing. <laughs> left. And years later, I hear from Linda Addison, you changed. What? Excuse me. I said, you, you got bigger and you became more masculine. I said, this is not what you want to tell a postmenopausal woman. She became masculine. <laughs> so I became Mr. Gordon. Holy Lizzie moly. Was abused by her father. Yeah, she may have done it, but she didn't do it with an axe. It was a shovel. Wild. Yeah. There's definitely lots of, of things about that story that are like, there's definitely things that are complicated and very um, emotionally raw that went into that. And so that's, it's interesting. And, and it's so funny that you mentioned Linda Addison because she's who wrote our afterword yeah. <laughs> for this book. So very fitting. <laughs> Well, in the boarding house, if you go there, uh, they have the attic. And I, the first time he went just as a tour, and the second time, both times, I could not go in there. It felt like that's where she used mm -hmm. to hide. Mm -hmm. So I was not allowed, as Mr. Borden, to go in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's okay. Rob Dunbar was busy. <laughs> very spooky. So before I have to hop off, is there any other oh. last things that... Um, that y'all want to say or hear when, when will you where will you be so people can get your book yeah um i'm trying to think of my next uh oh oh oh, oh. i have okay there's a fun event december 18th 
at the Flying Fox. And it's going to be a fascinating night with uh, Andrea and I. We're going to be talking about our book, um, The Flying Fox. It's in Brooklyn. And uh, there's going to be another author talking about um, a book about sex magic. So, I mean, you don't, you don't want to miss Down that. Down boy. Okay. You suddenly woke, Nick woke up. Yeah. You don't want to miss that. So, <laughs> no, I have no idea what to expect about all of this, but maybe, you know, you can, you can find another um, sort of uh, book that you shouldn't be messing with there, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are coming to Nikon though, aren't you? I've learned my lesson. Are you I coming am, to Nikon? I am. Uh, oh, okay. You, will, will you be? Nicholas, yeah, Trish, Trish and I are there every year. I'm the volunteer uh, coordinator. I have to be. And well, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Leanna, you'd fit right in if you ever want to come. Okay. Well, I, you, it's you one of those so things. I do a lot of events, but I just lose track of all of them. So if that's something y'all want to remind me about, I could, my, my brain is a bit of a, we safe, will. so uh, please, <laughs> please remind me. Cause it's like, I will, I, I will absolutely love to go to things that people suggest to me, but you know, I'm doing a whole bunch of different things. I, I just kind of lose track of what is when. So, so please. <laughs> I do that too, but I'm old. So, you know, I was like, Hey, I, I just am a little forgetful. And like, I, I feel like my, my, my world is, is partially tactile and partially um, invisible as it were. Well, so well, my ghost will contact your ghost and then we'll, See, there we go. Like yeah. we can have a bit of medium. Ghost to ghost uh, training. There we go. Put somebody's, them. somebody's got to get the message. Put them to work. Yeah. It was great uh, seeing you, Leanna. Yeah. And nice. Leanna, where, where can people find invisible women before you go? Can you so, tell us where uh, we can find it? A Haunted History of Invisible Women uh, can be found wherever books are sold. So there's an audiobook edition. Um, mm. There is a um, digital edition, and it's in trade paperback. Um, we've certainly been uh, hoping folks will support your local independent bookstore um, because, you know, that's always a great place to go. And they've been, you know, local independent bookstores have been very, very supportive of the book. Um, for New Yorkers, Word Bookstore in Brooklyn, uh, they mm. definitely had a bunch of signed copies uh, a little while great ago. But but they, they may have, um, we, we were one of their top sellers in October, so they may not have any signed ones left, but they'll order it in for you. Um, so, uh, but bookshop.org um, will support independent bookstores just kind of generally. So that's always great. Also, your local library, um, you can certainly ask uh, for us at your library. And well, um, not, I will ask my library to get a copy. Please do. Yes. So, so make sure to, to look for A Haunted History of Invisible Women um, and, uh, and, and it'll come right up uh, wherever Books are sold, and I, I want to thank everybody for uh, for your time and for sharing fun. all of your fun stories. I really appreciate yeah. all of this. It was a yeah, spooky good you. time. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, thank you for the space to do so. Yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you for take care, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye, Leanna. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Well, oh. we didn't talk much about books, but <laughs> no, I know I, I I did not expect us to turn from Doctor Who to <laughs> to like well, real life it's in the, it's in paranormal the events. It's in the spirit. Why not? <laughs> yeah. And uh, speaking of books, Nicholas, you have a new book coming out. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, uh, it's called uh, The Stone Serpent, and it actually just came out on Tuesday, um, and it's doing uh, it's doing all right. It's in uh, paperback, ebook, and audiobook, and the audiobook is actually mm. narrated by my good friend Linda Jones. Uh, she does a fantastic job. I wish I could hold up a copy of it I'm for you now, but I actually, uh, my, my publisher has been a little bit slow in getting my copies to me, ah. so I don't have one for you today. Um, but it is a, it is the sequel to The Hungry Earth, which is uh, oh, okay. what I was talking about when I was here on your show mm -hmm. last year. Good book. Uh, Very good book. Yeah. Thank you. The, well, the survivors of that book are off on a, oh, uh, just dear. Have, have, have new shit to deal with, as I put oh, it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um it's part of the sort of an ongoing series uh with this um 
the main character who is the uh, uh, the local um, medical examiner for this small city in, in the Hudson Valley. Uh, her name is Dr. Laura Powell. And this time, last time it was uh, a mutant fungus. And this time it's uh, something is making people turn to stone. And she has to figure mm. out what that's going on, what, what that's all about. Now, are so you, I, you said it's going to be a series? It is a series. I'm working on the third one now. Okay. So spoiler, does, Dr. Laura survives this one too. <laughs> how does that work for you? I, I did... Uh, Second chance is, is not a sequel, but mm. I used that world. They said, well, both the third one. Oh, no, 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 I'm done. So how do you do a series? Because I've, I've only done one series before, and it was a series for, it was an urban fantasy series that I did with St. Martin's. Uh, and the num the sales numbers were unfortunately pretty low. So it never got past book two, even though we had pitched a trilogy. So it's kind of an unfinished story. Um, uh, so I've, I have not had a great track record with with series. So it's not something I, I really intended to do again. But um, after the success of The Hungry Earth, I was I had this idea that I wanted to write about uh, petrifaction because I was just fascinated with with petrified wood. And I thought, well, what would happen if you know people could be petrified? Um, but I couldn't find my way into the story. I was like, I don't know what I'm, how to make this story happen. And it was actually my agent. We were talking on the phone. Uh, and my agent said, well, why don't you have Dr. Laura come back? Uh, and she can sort of, she can be like your way into this. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. That makes a lot more sense than just coming up with whole new characters. Right. Uh, it's a lot easier, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, after I wrote uh, The Stone Serpent, um, I was talking again with my agent and he said, you know, if, if you make it a trilogy, if you make it three books, that's sort of the magic number. Mm -hmm. uh, that will sort of elevate the series uh, and hopefully keep it selling. Um, so I'm working on that third book now, and uh, it's it's kind of a joy because I really do love these characters. Give us a hint. Oh, I'm sorry. Give us a hint. What's you know? Okay, what well, is happening. <laughs> well, if the stone serpent is about petrifaction, or you know, turning to stone, and um, this one, which doesn't have a name yet, uh, has a lot to do with uh, melting permafrost. And all the small uh, the oh, viruses yeah. and the the uh, microorganisms that that can be released from cool. the melting permafrost that we've never had to deal with because they're thousands, if not millions, of years old. Right. Ooh. And what what could that be like? And so that's that's like been fascinating. Like lions and and measles. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. like prehistoric measles, right? Yeah. Like this could be like something we have no idea how to deal with because we've never. Hmm. had it before you know so it's, well, it's fascinating did, but, you know our ancestors did so that is that's cool so it's, it's about a pandemic i know yeah. right well one of the reasons so so uh originally the hungry earth was turned down by every publishing house with what i what i call really lovely rejections they all oh, loved yeah. it none of them wanted it right. and i found out later that the reason was that it was too close to 2020 and nobody wanted any book that was even remotely about a virus or 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 contagion or a pandemic or anything like that. So this, you know, the hungry earth was about, you know, the spores of a mutant fungus taking yeah. over a town. And they, they, that was too close to, to COVID, apparently, to to sell. Yeah. Uh, which was which was uh, shocking and disappointing to learn yes. because, uh, I, I, you know, I think it's really among my best works. Um, and now the stone serpent is out and hopefully people will, again, I wish I could hold it up, <laughs> but yeah. uh, hopefully people yeah. will, will pick it up. It's available, like Leanna said, wherever books are sold. Um, 
and uh, and I hope it does well because I put a lot of work into this one too. And it's, yes. you know, as it was with with the Hungry Earth, the research phase is my favorite part because I get to look up all sorts of crazy stories. I, I mean, the the natural world is really messed up, Trish. I don't know oh, if you know. This. Really? That's why we the <laughs> natural world. Yeah. <laughs> And natural world was so easier, yeah, much easier. God. Yeah, so there's some crazy stuff, and I got to um, research snakes too because snakes are a part of the story, uh, as you might imagine from the title, "The Stone yeah. Serpent." Um, and so it was just—it's really fascinating stuff. Cool. I think they didn't. I think they just unearthed a virus in the ice caps somewhere, they right? Have. Yes, yeah. they did. Siberian permafrost. It was. In the well. It was almost eighty thousand years old. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, pretty timely. Yeah, or you know, you know, pre-extinction. Oh, it's a very good. large number. Yeah. 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 Scary, oh. scary stuff. And the, and they want to replicate it in the lab, and it's like, why? You don't know what it does. That's <laughs> why. Right. So we can, will you know, do. figure it out. You know. Oops, <laughs> new, new vaccine coming out. Uh, don't yeah, breathe. Just can't, just can't help ourselves, right? We find something, and it's like, let's find out what it does. Let's. Yeah. You know, <sighs> I've seen this movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that story ends. Yeah. Well, that's not well. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not real comfortable with computers because I read uh, Colossus, the Bourbon Project, way too early in my life. Uh, you know, computers taking over the world. It's like, oh, now I have to work with one that doesn't like me. So. <laughs> Your computer is possessed. Yeah, I think so. Of course, you know, it's older and it's like, you know, if I take it in, oh, well, you know, you need a new one. No, I don't go away. <laughs> I'm still, I haven't upgraded to Windows, what, 11? Because I'm working in Windows 10, so leave me alone. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. It must be so nerve-wracking for writers to to update things like that because you have all of your work stored. Yeah. What, what extra steps do you take to, to save all of your work so nothing happens to it? <sighs> I put it on flash drives occasionally, um, or, you know, I, I'm ill to myself, but uh, I still have <clears throat> floppy disks with a lot of stories that I can't access at all because. Yeah, because you don't uh, have a, a reader for that. Well, I've got, you know, the big floppies, you know, my first computer was a leading edge. Wait, you have oh, the big floppies, the the, the, five and the, and the ones that were literally floppy. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God! They were like we little, had... little records inside of sleeves, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. So there, you know, I have uh, in Colorado. I think I have two boxes full of those. It's like, well, you know, what am I going to do with them? Not much. Hmm. Not much. It's going to be doing there. <laughs> I for my backup, I use um, what is it called? Uh, I have Backblaze, which just backs up everything on my computer for like five or six dollars a month. Um, and then I also have Dropbox, which I, I keep a, you yeah. know, spare copies of things on yeah. um, and, and hope for the best. But, yeah, it was scary when I when I uh, was eventually forced to upgrade my Mac a couple of years back. It was no longer uh, able to um, use the, the version right. of Microsoft Word that I had. Like suddenly yeah. the, everything I had bought was I had to buy again for the right. new operating system, yeah. uh, which was super annoying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Well, you know, yeah, I think I back up now. Um, I have so many stories that I've not continued, but I said, well, you know, I back them up. They're published. It's okay. 
<laughs> and that's a must insurance. Okay. Somebody's got a record of them somewhere. Somewhere. Right? <laughs> yeah. Say, oh, yeah, I read your story, you know, la, la, la. I went, great. <laughs> I don't remember writing it, you know. Or I've gotten to the point in my career now um, where I'll remember doing something. I go, oh, yeah. I went, oh, no, I wrote that. So I'm getting a little confused about reality. Oh, I see what you mean. Like, I, hey, I have a great no idea. And you're like, oh, I wrote that already. Yeah, no. Or I said, no, I, ne I never did that. That wasn't a story. Because, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I've been to this place. No, I haven't been to this place. Uh, I wrote that in a story. Mm -hmm. like, so, yeah, as I said, my muse has a great life. Uh, she goes <laughs> everywhere. You know, I'm sitting here going, did we do that? You know? And, I remember uh, I wrote a story early in my career called The Jew of Prague, and I had been to Prague just recently before then, or not just recently, probably almost 10 years before. Um, but the Jewish cemetery in Prague had always stuck with me. Right. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful old cemetery, and it's just all the stones are crammed together. Hmm. Um, people are buried on top of each other there. And I was like, this is a great setting <laughs> for a story. So I, I wrote a story called The Jew of Prague. But it was so di like it, it was so distant in my mind at that point because it had been about ten years I've been there. I went and bought like the Lonely Planet guide to to Prague, right. to sort of sort mm. of you know jar my memory, right? Um, uh, and uh, uh, it, it was just uh, it reminded me of of the story you told earlier where you had to buy maps to New York to write yeah. about New York. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I you know um, I Google. I just did a uh, yeah. story. Someone wanted a story, horror story set in a bowling alley. Went, hmm. uh, bowling. Yeah, I used to go bowling. Oh my god! So you know, you're, thank God for Google. You know, seriously, I used to go. I used to go to the library. Yeah, do my research. Went, yeah, I'm old. <laughs> Google, <laughs> but thank God for Google. So and when uh, when the stone serpent was in uh, editing phase and, you know, somebody at the publisher was was uh, doing an edit on it, I had a scene where uh, Booker, who's sort of the secondary character, he's uh, Dr. Laura Powell's uh, boyfriend, uh, decides he wants to do some research and goes to the library. And the editor circled it like, doesn't yeah, he have right. a computer at home? <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Why is he going yeah. to the library? Well, I, 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 I catch myself doing that and saying, you know, uh, Put down the phone. Oh, no. Cell phone. We have cell phones now. Okay. Yeah, I have to do that because in my brain, that, that's kind of the fun part I had with uh, Second Lives is I could go back and do phones and, you know, Victorian and this. I was like, that's great. But, yeah, I'm, I'm kicking and screaming my way into the 21st century, dragging <laughs> my nails. I don't want to go. No. Our friend uh, Austin had a question. Uh, what is more inspiring to you authors, reality or fiction? Do you want to take that one first, Trish? Reality is fiction. No boy. Um, no <laughs> fiction. No fiction <laughs> worth its weight isn't based in reality, especially hmm. horror. If you use everyday things and tweak them just slightly, that's where the horror is. You know, you can have Godzilla, or like my least favorite movie, Pacific Rim, you know, where <laughs> monsters come and the 
smartest thing they can come up with is giant robots to fight them. Yeah, right. It's a little oh, unwieldy. Hey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> monsters are real. They look like us. And that's where the horror is. You use hmm. reality. And uh, if you read the news, I mean, that's scary. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, if you inspire, you know, sometimes, yes, inspired by fiction. Um, Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. Mm. That inspires me. Stephen King's works inspires me to be a better writer. But you cannot be inspired by fiction. And it gets a little close to plagiarism. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going to do this about a haunted house. And it's like, uh, yeah, um, do your own. You know, find your own reality. And reality can be many different shades. And just hmm. find the one that works for you and then go deeper. I can certainly be uh, inspired by good fiction. Uh, um, uh, I, I, everything I used to read by Peter Straub uh, was oh, so yeah. inspiring. I mean, he's he was a great, great author. And um, there are many other authors, too, who uh, have certainly inspired. Clive Barker, uh, I found to be very inspiring as a writer. Um, uh, but uh, reality is, as Trish was saying, reality is, is rich with inspiration. Um, uh, and I never... Uh, certainly lack for realistic inspiration. Certainly uh, with the Dr. Laura Powell books, I'm using reality. The, the whole point of those books is to to create sort of a horror thriller, but make the science as real as, as, it, as possible. So the, with The Hungry Earth, it was real science about fungus. Uh, yeah, and I want to thank you about that because I was out walking after reading your book and found a puffball and went, oh, hell, I'm <laughs> going to turn into a mushroom now. Jesus, thank you, great. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much, yes. Um, I'm fine, except for the truffles. It's great. Yeah. And I was certainly inspired by uh, many real things for, for the stone serpent, too. Um, I discovered that there are ways for uh, living tissue to uh, yeah. turn to, not necessarily stone, but to calcify. Calcify, yeah. Um, hmm. Quite suddenly. Uh, and it was... It was um, it was alarming. If you have time, I'd love to tell you a story yeah, about of one course. of them. Please, yeah. um, uh, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Lake Natron in Tanzania. Yes. Yeah, so you do you know this one? I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll share it with the audience. Anthropology. So yeah. Oh, okay, cool. But it's widely known as uh, the deadliest lake in the world, and they say that animals that enter its waters are turned to stone, and that's uh, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's not far off from mm -hmm. what is actually happening. So it's uh, the lake is a landlocked salt lake. Uh, so over time, as the water evaporates in the desert heat, it leaves behind a higher concentration of salt, just like the Dead Sea or the Great Salt Lake in Utah. Except this lake also happens to have a volcano right next to it. Yeah. <laughs> so this volcano spews this dark, muddy lava that's rich in something called natron, which is a naturally occurring mm. sodium. Uh, in fact, it's the same stuff that the ancient Egyptians used to dry out cadavers with for mummification. Yeah. Hmm. So as the lava pours into the lake, the natron makes it even saltier, and the lava heats it up uh, to, you know, hot enough to cause third-degree burns. So as a result of all this, the lake uh, turns into this sort of caustic preservative cauldron. So let's pretend, you know, you're a bird flying over the lake, and you're like, oh, that looks like a fun lake. I'm going to drop in there and, and, you know, get me a fish to eat. So a bird would, will 
dive into the lake and be killed instantly by the heat. And thanks to the natron and the high levels of salt, the bird's carcass will become calcified into this hardened stone-like state that sinks to the bottom of the lake. Hmm. And when the lake waters recede during the dry season, the shore is littered with these chemically preserved carcasses. It's like a sculpture garden of dead birds. Oh, cool. But that's not even the weirdest part, because like I, like I always say, uh, with nature, like there's always something even weirder. Um, so only three creatures are known to be able to survive the waters of Lake Natron. One is a kind of tilapia fish. Uh, mm. The second is a kind of blue-green algae. And the third is flamingos. Flamingos. <laughs> flamingos. The flamingo has evolved in such a way that Lake Natron's high salinity doesn't bother it. So they love to, they hang out there and they're like protected from their predators and all these other animals who will avoid the lake because it will kill them. So you have all these flamingos hanging out in the world's deadliest lake. I thought that was the funniest thing. So that's why we have flamingos on, on lawns, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these funny pink birds that we have plastic versions of on our lawns can survive the deadliest lake in the world. Oh my God. And that's real. This is all real. So like I was fascinated by this and, and to, to find out that, I mean, this is not why somebody, this is not why the people in the book are, are, are uh, turning to stone, but it's to discover that this could actually happen um, wow. is what's just fascinating to me. Yeah, it is. Wow. And do they, they actually live in the lake? Flamingos do? Yeah. They live there. They breed there. They eat the tilapia. They, they eat the algae. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I guess they just kick aside the, the dead stone birds. <laughs> that they... <laughs> That's a good title. Dead stone birds. Yeah. Uh, it's it fascinating to me. Nature is so freaking weird. Yeah. Wow. Well, just when I thought I couldn't get any worse after, uh, after the fungi conversation. Yeah. <laughs> there so, we go. Yeah. And uh, Carl had a question. Uh, have you guys ever written have ever written anything after having a few drinks? I used to. I used to to write with a beer in my hand, um, but I've I've never done like the Bukowski way of like, getting wasted and and writing. I I think I would probably just wind up surfing the net, and I do that enough <laughs> sober, so I don't think I need to 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 drink to procrastinate. But it's, that's what would happen to me. Yeah. Um. I'm bipolar, so medication and drinks do not go. But I have taken copious notes by watching my drunken friends. Oh. And they have appeared in stories. <laughs> and I've held wonderful conversations with people they don't remember ever having. Hmm. So, no. I, I, you know, I also do not trust people enough to get drunk and not on my guard. So, yeah. Don't know. But it's fun watching. Uh, Carl uh, mentions I write for fun and had a f uh, more than one or two drinks one night. Two days later, I discovered a short story about 2,500 words long and ha had no memory of writing it. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. Your muse is having a party. <laughs> but I need to know, Carl. I need to know if this was an, it was a good story or if you looked at it like, what the heck is this? Because yeah, if it's a good no story, you're on to something. Well, I look at my first drafts like, oh, my God. Yeah, my, oh my first drafts do not look anything like the finished product. My first drafts are terrible, and that's why I always go through a crisis of confidence whenever I'm writing something, particularly a novel, because you have a very long first draft to get through. 
And I'm just like, oh, I should, you know, I should become a, a refrigerator repair person yeah. <laughs> instead of a writer. Done that for years, yes. Uh, <sighs> also mentions getting too inspired by fiction. Things do become a bit homogenous. Reality is stranger than fiction for sure. Thank you for the answers. Oh, I mean, look at us. Um, We're stranger than reality. Yeah. <laughs> and what was the name of the lake again oh it's it's lake natron it's n-a-t-r-o-n you can look it up um there are some uh cool videos and pictures online of these uh dead stone-like birds there's a photographer who did a, a whole exhibit or maybe even a book about them hmm. it's good stuff oh wow isn't yeah tanzania right tanzania yeah wow that's so cool. lake right next to a volcano Go wow. figure. See if I can share my screen really quick. And we're just sitting here watching him do something. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, yeah. there it is. There it yes. Is. It's, I, I should have also mentioned the lake is blood red. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it gets worse. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, I'm a native Californian. I remember the red tide coming in. And yeah, it oh, was, yeah. it was red tide. It was yeah. so much. And that's algae. That's red algae, yeah, right? Red algae. Mm -hmm. Wow. Red algae. Yeah. yeah red it's, tide. it's very destructive. And you don't wow. go in like that. Hmm. And it, it lives in that environment with the, with the, with the, uh, cal calcified environment. No, no, the, not the red algae. The no. Red algae oh. or the red tide is uh, California. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, the reason that, uh, Lake Natron is red is because it has a high pH level. And that oh, okay. it colors the water. Yeah, um, not on my list of things to visit. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, apparently, there's a safe time to go in. Like, if the volcano is not exploding, then it can just be. I'm not going near it. I. I... Oh, you know, hey, you know, I'm no. sorry. You know, low sodium diet here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. No, that's no, nothing good could come of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Carl said he, he liked his story. Oh, oh, you did like it. Oh, okay, good, good. Send it out. See what yeah. happens. Send it to a drunk editor. <laughs> oh, please. We're all drunk. Yeah. Uh, so a bit That's of both cool. needed a bit of tweaking, but I was happy with it. That's awesome. very cool. Good luck. Good luck with that. Um, I would not necessarily recommend getting super drunk and writing all the time, just because I don't think that's probably very good for you. No. Yeah. Probably not the best choice. Well, yeah, I drink when I'm working on a novel. I'll go through two pots of ten cup coffees, you know, a day, mm -hmm. and uh, it's the only thing keeping my blood running at that <laughs> point. Yeah, it's just I don't have blood. It's, I need the caffeine to keep going, but um, yeah, I I, I don't drink or stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, my biggest vice these days is diet coke. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even drink cokes anymore, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, I'm old. I don't have any life, you know. Come on. <laughs> uh, PDO's yeah, but... curious. How has the industry changed since you first started to now? What's the What are the biggest differences that you've seen? Lack of publishers. Uh, we used mm -hmm. to have many, many mm -hmm. publishers, many magazines, many Absolutely. avenues for a writer. Mm -hmm. And now, nothing. Uh, we have what? How many of our publishing companies are owned from by a single German consortium? Right. I mean, they own most of them. Uh, the small press are trying to make a comeback, and they are doing a good job. 
but uh, there are people out there, well, you know, why would I be go to a small press when I can go to, you know, major publisher to get published for one thing. Um, but uh, yeah, very, very little uh, avenues now for a new writer. And I, it's horrible because um, yes, you know, it's great to have, you know, the old standby writers, but you know, Hey, we're getting old. We're going to die off eventually. And uh, there, there needs to be more things for writers out there. There need to be more venues. Um, how many, magazines are there out there i uh, there used to be cemetery dance is it still i mean it's still doing I think that's but, still around but so there but are so many print magazines that aren't around yeah, anymore yeah you know, omni used to be a big one you mm -hmm. know uh the digest oh. i mean they used to have hundreds that you could get into and nothing so now you have a few websites and that's pretty yeah. much it right well yeah and a website you know yes it's good to you know get your work out there but as harlan ellison said get paid Absolutely. Uh, you know, if you yeah you know, if it's two cents get paid um, but you can't bring a website with you like i don't like i like to read in bed and if i want to read a story i'd prefer to have it in a book i don't want to bring my laptop or or try to read on my phone in bed yeah. off well, a website. I, yeah i i love books i love real books um, I think it was at a Nikon and someone said, oh, well, you know, Trish, here's your story on Kindle. And I grabbed the phone and my Sharpie said, shall I autograph it? And you never saw a look of fear. <laughs> you know, you can't autograph Kindle. Well, you can, but it's not good anymore. But uh, yeah, um, the, there's a lot less. I mean, there's just as many writers. I, I can't tell you how many stories i read uh for flame tree and novels um but there are no venues i mean yeah you can self-publish but that is a really slippery slope and i've read some self-published works that have been brilliant i say you know why didn't you send it somewhere well nobody wanted it mm -hmm. again you mean very picky but i will tell you if you self-publish um and the editor will look at you like, hmm, well, maybe you're self-published because nobody wants you. And they'll, you know, good people, but they will put you in a category. Wow. Even now. I wasn't sure if that was true now, now anymore. Even oh. now. Hmm. Wow. Because, you know, yeah. Because there's so many people to choose from. And, That's you know, true. And, okay, the new movies are coming out based on old stories, sometimes based on new stories. <laughs> Not a lot of new stories. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if they did another Twilight Zone, and if anybody out there is going to do another Twilight Zone or One Step Beyond, listen to me. Get a story from a named author. Do not let your screenwriter write a story because I'm sorry, some of those suck. <laughs> uh, you know, Rod Serling, besides being a great writer, picked stories from phenomenal writers and yes. it doesn't have to be a named writer but mm. you know screenwriter yeah sometimes aren't the best idea they can write a screenplay but sometimes the screenplays are not stories they do not have the guts of a story it does seem like uh it's harder than ever to get published middle yeah mm. for beginning middle and end those zero end yeah it is very hard to get published now 
I, and, and I know people who have been uh, published multiple times to, mm -hmm. to success who are now having trouble getting published. It's yeah. not just new authors. It's, it's, no. uh, it's existing um, authors as well. Kenneth Lee, big name. Huge big name, name, yeah. Big name, could not get published the last years of her life. Isn't that wild? Mm -hmm. I can't I imagine that her sales numbers were disappointing. To read her anymore. Hmm. Yeah. It's, oh, well, you know, we're going in this direction. We're doing that. And I'm, I'm sure this is only me and not the industry. But why pay somebody what they're worth when you can give pittance to somebody who's just starting out? And yet there are so few debut authors, too. I don't know. I don't know what's happening with the industry, but I feel like it's in a, a state of upheaval right now, and we'll see how it shakes well, out. Uh, mm. Flame Tree gets a lot of you know first-time authors, mm. and um, I, I say this flippantly, but I don't really mean it. You know, he wanted to write so badly, and he did. Um, some debuts, uh, yeah, learn your craft. You know, read a lot, read. And I had one author that I read the letter. Well, I don't read. Then don't write, please. <laughs> don't write. If you can't, if you don't read, don't write. I can't imagine being a writer and being like, oh, I don't read. Well, yeah, what are you like, doing? Yeah, well, I just create this wonderful thing. And it was interesting, his work, but it wasn't a, a novel. Okay. But I have read a lot of, you know, debut. I said, okay, a couple more drafts and this will be great. You know, just. Mm, yeah. And I can only tell Don to tell them because I'm not the editor. But I have read phenomenal new debuts. This is my first work. You know, I've never done it before. I went, Don, get him now or get her now. I read one from a kid that was 19. Wow. Don, get this kid down. Put him, sign him. Yes, he's doing this. You know, and Don usually listens to me. So, I mean, uh, that's that's every publisher's dream to to yeah. uh, to, to discover new great new talent who's voice. young enough to yeah. keep going. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've I've you know I feel really fortunate and honored to you know read some of these people, and then I go oh dear God. <laughs> <laughs> but if I know you, and uh, usually all my friends will send in great work. I would tell Don I know this person, and I actually. Told this person if he didn't send you a story i was going to hurt him so just you know i like <laughs> it but read it for yourself and it doesn't even work i mean i can love a work i can love a novel don can love a work or he can love a novel it's up to the round table to mm -hmm. decide if it's going to be published right so, and does that round table include say the marketing department and the marketing department the publisher mm -hmm. um the editors, all the editors. Um, and then there's probably some person that doesn't really have a title that goes, no, I don't think we can do this or this. Nah, I don't think it'll work. Or That's, you know. that's the money person. Right? The money person. <laughs> yeah. The money person. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I see well, um, a book that I read. And, oh, my God. Yes. You know, it's, it's a book. And I, I will buy it. You know, I may have read it, but I'll buy it. But I, I did this. I got this person. You know, you'll buy it from the bookstore. You'll be like, this is I, I, I saw author. this in Slush. And yeah, mm, yeah, and I amazing. will buy it. And yes, I feel I feel honored that you know, I did that. 
but um it's very hard now it's yeah it's almost worse now than it was when i was starting and i use pd hmm. because yeah there wasn't a lot of women writers of horror mm -hmm. back you know and someone said well you know that's horrible it is life and now it i'm was. just pd because you know hmm. prematurely decomposed and i'm getting to that point every day now <laughs> You know, I read, I did my, my share of slush reading as well, um, but it was for an agency rather than a publisher. Um, and like you, there were some real di diamonds in the rough, uh, but there were also a lot of like really kooky. Ooh, yes. Yeah. What I remember one woman sent us a book of her poetry and her poetry was all uh, the lyrics of Beatles songs just written out. And she said, you know, mm. I, I knew John Lennon and Paul McCartney and they stole my poems. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have on occasion in red going, Don, be nice this person, but don't ever answer any more mail. <laughs> oh, I'm the greatest thing to come down. And um, that is another thing. Um, a lot of people are going, you know, tell people you're great and they'll believe you. Mm. Hot, to a point. I, I knew somebody who that was their focus and that's how they told people to be. I said, but at some point they're going to read you. Mm -hmm. And if it, you're not there telling them how wonderful you are, they're going, okay. You know, so, you know, yes, you can say you're wonderful, but let's kind of keep it honest because mm -hmm. you will be found out. Yeah. They don't care if you think you're wonderful. They want to know if readers think you're wonderful. They want to know yes. if you have what's called a platform, right? Like yeah, if you or, already have a built-in audience. Yeah. Well, someone said, yeah, well, I've got 50,000, you know, viewers on, you know, on the web. And it's like, yeah, they're not going to buy a book. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this well, is sad, well, but true. Yeah. yeah. This is sad, but true. I have, uh, probably 3000 followers on Facebook. And if all of them bought one of my books, I'd be a bestseller, but yeah. they don't. They don't. Well, you know, uh, I've had people say, oh, yes, I'm going to buy a book and haven't heard one thing about it. That's okay. Uh, my job is to go to the next one. Someone Precisely. says, well, how, how does it feel? Nobody's buying it. I said, that's gone. I, I've written that. It's, it's in the past. I'm working on the future. And you have to do that or you, you know, go to a high tower and just take a swan dive. You know. That is that's the best advice and the only advice I ever give other writers is keep doing the work. Just yeah. keep doing the work. Your books aren't being noticed, just keep doing the work. Yeah. Having trouble getting an agent or a publisher, just keep doing the work. That's mm -hmm. the only way to get by. Well, someone said, Well, what's your favorite novel? I said the next one. <laughs> and it is. It will always be the next one. Sure. Although, Shiny and new. Yeah. yeah. And, and I and haven't it hasn't killed me yet. So yeah. <laughs> And uh, PD, out of a let's say out of a hundred books you you sent to the roundtable that you believe in, out of that one hundred books, how many books get published? Um, I don't have the figure, but uh, I have seen four authors that I help get published. So you know, for me, that is good. Hmm. Now, um, I I'm not privy to know who's being published and not. But uh, I was at the, before the pandemic, a couple of years before, I went to the New York uh, Book Fair. And there was an author there and Don said, oh yeah, you liked his book. Oh my God, you know, and I shook his hand and he shook my hand. And it's like, you know, you find a long lost child. It's like, <laughs> I, I read your baby and it was wonderful. But um, I don't know. It used to be a little more... Uh, we were doing a lot more um, 
mystery and detective at uh, leisure. And most, I, I was hitting a good percentage of the ones I picked and I don't write mystery or, you know, I just pick the ones that, you know, interested me. Mm-hmm. I, I tried yeah. to write a mystery, but I forgot to put in things like clues. Uh, so <laughs> you, you wouldn't be the first mystery writer to do know. that. I know, but I don't want to do the Miss Marple and going, let me explain why I did this. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just, I recently read Agatha Christie's and then there were none for the first time. And it's a great book and it deserves the classic status it has, but there are no clues. But it's like, well, none. if you saw, you know, I did this on this page and, and then I went over, and I have thrown a lot of Agatha Christie's books against the wall and then, damn it, you know, finish reading it. No clues. No, no clues. But, you know, now, yeah. Oh, I going back to slush. I I do remember one, and this was from Leisure, so it was many years ago. I um, Don says, you know, just read. You know, I said, well, I I try to read like three chapters of a novel at least. You know, get mm-hmm. something, or you know, if I want to, you know, vomit. Uh, but I did <laughs> reject one western after was it one line and this was when we were getting hard copies mm. and this it, it looked like this it was like seven billion pages and i turned it and the girls in the office i was in a room heard me laughing and they said they said is it the one yeah the line was the sun ball rose i went nope <laughs> nope because <laughs> i don't want to get to the end goal the sun ball went down <laughs> <laughs> so if that's published anywhere i apologize but it wasn't for me hmm. yeah that's funny you know i don't know if i ever told you but i i used to i was a judge for the writer's digest self-published contest oh my god no in the science fiction fantasy horror and mystery uh category and so i was they shipped me 75 self-published Brilliant. books this was hmm. these were physical books yeah um, and I also was like, I'm going to read, I will, I promise to read just the first, at least the first chapter to give these books a chance. And there were times when I, it was a struggle to just do that first chapter. Yeah. Again, there were some great books that were like yeah. real diamonds in the rough. Like I don't, this, this could have been pu- published by Random House, yeah. but some of them were also like, I can't get past this first page, let alone this yeah. first chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do try to, you know, with short stories, I'll read the entire short story. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's you know, 10,000 words max. I mean, I, that's, I'm a fast reader. But, uh, yeah, there have been a few times when it's like, oh, my goodness gracious me. I did, <laughs> you know, kind of go, uh, do you have another talent <laughs> that you want to pursue? Do that. <laughs> don't don't quit your day job, right? <laughs> no, please, don't ever write again. You know? But thank God we're not killing trees, just like, you know, neurons, mine, and the computers. <laughs> no, Carl commented, I hear, I hear that so often. So few people who try writing don't read, try suggested, and they say they don't need to. I never understand that. I don't understand it either. Oh, because it's all in here. It's all in here. Said, but, but why would you want to be a writer if you don't love books? Like, why not huh. just go into, why not be a movie maker or TV? Oh, because it's so easy. It's so right. Easy. Yeah, exactly. It's so easy. Of course. Of well, course. Okay. I, I am, you know, years ago when I first started, you know, I was a mentor for a lot of people and I taught writing and I always 
I believe this in my little heart that anyone can write. Boy, was I proven wrong <laughs> numerous times. And it was a shock because, it, you know, I, I, I was writing before I could write. I would get the big chief pads, you know, and my little number two pencil. And I would scribble my stories. And I could remember each story that I scribbled and I would read them to my grandmother. So, yeah, it just came very easy to me, but it's not. It's like, well, anybody can sing, you know, not everybody can sing, not everybody can write, but, you know. But I do, I do believe that with, with practice and, and keeping at it, you can. Um, you, you, it, there's, there's an imaginative element, obviously, and if you don't have necessarily the imagination, maybe not. But if you keep writing, if you keep at it, you will eventually become better at, at prose. Oh, it, you will become better, yeah. Um, uh, trying to explain show, don't tell to someone is a little difficult. Because, well, it's on the page, yeah, but you know so yeah no you learn the basics you know, learn the basics please you know go um <laughs> take a writing class they're fun you know and then you can learn the basics and you can get some feedback you know because yes. our lunch with writers i mean right now we are having a wonderful conversation with people that we're not with and this is how writers are because i have a mannequin who sits with me yeah yeah it's a, very, it's a lonely life as a writer yeah. and it's not for everybody you know, I don't mind being alone. Well, I'm never alone with all my personalities. So, you know, we have a great time. Um, <laughs> but it is very hard. Uh, if, you know, you know, at the, during the pandemic, there was a number of our, our kin, our writers folks going, oh my God, what am I going to do? Sit down and write something. You've wanted, you said, I don't have time. You have time. Now you have time. Yeah. But if we don't have something so you know constant oh i need to do i need to write i need to do this but i have to do this if we don't have that some people can't so it you it, you have to discipline yourself you know? i do think you hit on something super important uh which is feedback getting feedback for your writing whether it's from friends or other writers you know or or submitting them and getting feedback from editors the feedback is is really how we grow as writers yeah but don't get upset and oh. Don't give it to people who love you. <laughs> yes. You, know, you don't want your mother's <laughs> feedback. Your mom's going to be like, oh, my perfect. mother hated my work. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the things that kept me going. My mother hated my work. You know, Can't you write something nicer? No. Can't you write something my friends like? Get better friends. <laughs> so yeah. My favorite is, can't, why, why don't you just write a bestseller? Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> oh, I'll, is that I'll what I've been doing yeah. wrong? Okay. Yeah. yeah. She, I don't like this stuff you write. I'm sorry. Yeah. And when she died, I did not have that battering ram. And it took me a year mm. to get writing again because I yeah. didn't have anything to push against. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carl mentioned some of our best friends are in our heads. Some of our worst enemies, too. Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's always that little cat of man going, you can cross the street. Go on. You can make it. Carl, stop. Yeah. Not, not in my neighborhood. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> what are some, for for someone who is an aspiring author? What what advice would you give to them for a uh, question for both of you? Uh, what what should they what's what are things to focus on? I guess that you would have them kind of uh, zone in on or you know key on. A... I would like I said before, you have to keep doing the work. You have to keep at it. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a career 
as a writer without um, putting in the time and sticking with it. It's it can be so um, discouraging because you will get rejections. Uh, I remember uh, my father once gave me a gift, and it was this really lovely leather. Uh, magnetic clasp like envelope or you know kind of thing and i told my brother i'm going to keep my rejections in this mm. uh in this pouch and he said it's not big enough and i was like you shut up you jerk but he right. was right he was yeah. absolutely right you, you will face get... so much rejection even even now i've been writing professionally for over 20 years and i still get rejected and oh, it yeah. still stings oh yeah yeah but you got to you know... stick with it Pretty, you know, 14 or 15 pounds of rejections, you know, in the first year. That, yeah, that's a good average, you know. <laughs> wow. um, okay, never be in love with your first thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't write anything until I have the entire idea in my head. Sometimes, like with mm-hmm. Sebastian, it just comes, you know, like, oh, where did that come from? Okay, yeah. Uh, but I will write after I know where it's going. And the first thing I do is I write the title, the byline, and usually in blue, the last line Hmm. or the last paragraph. Hmm. So I know where it's going. Interesting. I always have that. Hmm. But, you know, never love the baby too much not to change it. Yeah. That's hard. The famous uh, "kill your darlings" line, right? Like you may yeah. love a piece of writing in your in your novel, but if it's not doing the job, it's got to go. Now you don't have to throw it away, okay? For all you writers out there, you don't have to throw it away. Put it in, you know, download it or put it into a different file and keep it because you may use it some other time. But you know, it's true. I've not, done that. Yeah, but I, you know, I start after I finish it. I go. <laughs> I give myself two days and then I go back to the beginning. Right? Oh my God, what was I thinking? And then it's easier because um, be the writer first when you start. Be the writer. Yeah. Then second time around, be the reader. Third time around, be the editor and move your brain. Okay, this is somebody's work. I need to edit it. It's not your work. Mm-hmm. It's somebody's work. And then... Mm-hmm. You know, you have to because yeah, you it, it's you've bled on this thing. You know, you've opened a vein and you've poured your heart and soul. It's the best thing you've ever read, and then you go, "This is crap." <laughs> Every time to, you have to, <laughs> this is crap. If you don't say this is crap, put it in a drawer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do not have trunk stories. I have no trunk stories. Very good. When my eldest son was three years old, I took all of my, and I had been getting published, I took all of my manuscripts, put them in a barbecue, and set them on fire. I burnt them all up. What? They're gone. Now, some of the stories I've rewritten, I, I know I wrote them before, so they are, you know, but I have no... I have no copies of any of my previous work. Wow. wow. That's not what I thought you meant when you said gone. you had no trunk stories. They are gone. They wow. are gone. Nothing, nothing but ash. Hmm. And we just danced around the party here. You know, like little Indians. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because that can hold you back. 
Wow. I have one, I, uh, New Hope, my novel New Hope. Um, it's sitting there, you know, ready to be rewritten. But I realized when I was writing uh, Second Chances that a lot of the New Hope thing was in Second Chances. Mm. So I didn't burn that, but it's like, huh. And that was the one where I had all the ghost stories from New Hope that I'd never been to before. But yeah, mm. so yeah, um, you have to be your own worst critic. That's so true. Your own best critic. Hmm. So. And Carl commented, I'm a complete pantser. Anything I plan usually goes out the window for something that will come I couldn't have planned for. And previous plans are no, are no longer relevant. Yeah. I actually write very detailed outlines before I start a novel. And I agree. Uh, things happen that you haven't planned for. And previous plans become utterly irrelevant. I'll, I'll map out scenes where sometimes even with like sample dialogue and what characters are there. And by the time I get to writing that scene in the manuscript, those characters are not there. The piece of information they're sharing has already come out before. So yeah, I, I have, I write uh, ridiculously detailed outlines and then oh, don't Lord. stick to that. Well, that's amazing. I can't do an outline because I usually have it in my head. Um, I have post-it notes all over my computer that you can't see. Uh, like I, I forget character's name. Do they have blue eyes or brown eyes? Oh, last, you know, the second yeah, line yeah. when they had all these different eyes. I'm going, what color eye does she have? Oh, yeah. my God. They're like, what did I say the tattoo was of before? Yeah. I can't yeah. remember what the I, tattoo I do, is. I do have notes. I do, <laughs> I do, do, do notes. But, yeah. I think my outline is really just sort of a zero draft. You know what it yeah. is? Like, I drafted it, but it's like a zero draft. It's not even the first draft. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not sure if either of you are familiar with Jenny Wirtz. She's a fantasy author. Um, we had mm -mm. spoken before him when she was, she started writing fantasy and she wondered um, if she would, she should have used a pen name because at the time when she was being published in the, I believe in the eighties, uh, she really? wondered how differently her career would have gone if she would have used a pen name instead of her, her name, mm. uh, Jenny. Uh, PD for an author now, would you recommend a, a pen name or would you say for uh. someone just to use her name? No, use your name. Um, okay, PD, my name is Patricia Diana. Wonderful name for a romance writer, but I'll tell you a romance writer story in a moment. Uh, but again, <laughs> I did that primarily because it was very hard for a woman. Right. Now we want women. Uh, Flame Tree, we are looking for, hello, Kat. We are looking for women writers. And uh, I think... I don't see of all the manuscripts. If I see eight percent from women, I feel fortunate. Hmm. I'm not getting a lot of women writing, and I don't, you know, I don't know. Hmm. But no, uh, use your name. I know. Uh, my uh, M U N N Scottish. Um, come from a long line of uh, Viking Scots and slow natives on my dad's side, um, but. Kasich is great. You know, it's a married name, but it also puts me higher on the bookshelf. <laughs> so let me tell you about my romance uh, novel. My mother read romance novels. She said, why don't you write a romance? Fine, write a romance. So I sat down and this was a romance novel with the, you know, beautiful but dumb, you know, heroine and the stalwart young man, you know, stable boy and the evil conniving lord and i had the all the tropes in there and at the last you know near the last scene the evil lord is 
dragging the poor helpless girl across the meadows to have his way with her. And the stalwart young man comes and they fight. And they, you know, oh, help, help. Oh, no. Or, you know, their guys are fighting and she's just flopping around as, you know, heroines will do. And um, the evil, you know, man tries to kill the stalwart stable boy, but the stable boy kills the lord. And she goes, oh, my hero. Then the full moon rises. He turns into a werewolf and eats her. <laughs> you can only go so far. And I also burned that one. Oh, there's just your true nature just comes out my in everything you write. Came out. I could not do it anymore. So, yeah. I don't know how to write something that doesn't have some element of horror in it. I just don't. No. Although um, Sebastian really doesn't. Nothing mm. really happens. Really? Well, I mean, it's it's a, sort of a haunted mannequin, right? No. <laughs> Nothing happens in Second Lives or Second Chances. I mean, you know, imagine in those books, uh, the person you love the most mm. dies. And then, oh my God, miraculously, they come back to life. But they come back to life with the soul and memories of somebody you don't know who's died years ago. Mm. That's not horror. Kind of. I suppose it, it has to do with the tone and what you do with it, right? Yeah. It's also the tone inside your head. Mm. You know, I love it when people tell me, I heard your voice in that. I went, really? Cool. Mm. That must have been scary. <laughs> well, apparently there is a joke in Sebastian that people, oh my God, that is so you. I went, what did I say? <laughs> what joke was it? Ah, uh, go through going, really? Okay. No. Something I, I like to ask all the all my guests before uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask both of you what, because uh, my non-horror friends always ask me what, why do you like to read horror? What is it about horror that appeals to you? So I like to ask all the uh, horror authors or horror and people in the horror community, what is the appeal of horror for you? Boy, uh, I think uh, it started when I was a kid and it started with a fascination with dinosaurs, which turned into a fascination with monsters. And so I loved watching uh, you know, those old Sinbad movies with the giant Cyclops fighting a dragon. Like it was Harry just, it, it just, yeah, Harryhausen. Uh, it just, it lit a fire in my imagination. But I was really reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy. And I realized that what I liked about science fiction or, and particularly fantasy were the creatures, whether they were aliens or just like weird creatures that, you know, in a, in a fantasy book that the heroes would come across. So really, it just, eventually I just realized what I love was monsters. <laughs> right so and that that's what brought me into be horror as a fan hmm. uh and it was it wasn't until i read clive barker i think that i understood what horror writing could be hmm. and that really got me going um so I, it's it's i started as a fan as i guess most most people do um and just uh started writing and never looked back i knew i wanted to be a storyteller from a young age but of course as a child i thought what i wanted to really be was uh, I wanted to be a filmmaker and make Godzilla movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not not any other movies, just Godzilla, Godzilla. movies. <laughs> and so, you know, that the creativity was there at a young age, just maybe not the direction. So it took it took a while to get there. But why do I like horror? Why do I like monsters? I don't know. Uh, I, I I think it's uh, 
I think I just like the heightened reality of it. And I like the metaphor of it. And I like, it just, it does something for me. It gets my blood pumping when I, when I see a, a good horror movie or read a good horror mm-hmm. book. It just really, it lights me up in a way that nothing else does. Hmm. Yeah, this is what I live with. <laughs> she, it, it, try writing like this sometimes. It's a lot. Are you happy? Okay. Um, I remember, can you get off my, thank you. <laughs> Wouldn't be so bad except for the claws. Um, I was five years old and was just coming back from trick-or-treating. And I walked into our apartment and my mother had Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, Frankenstein, movie on. And Boris Karloff turned around. Mm. And I remember levitating backwards, five feet and going, I want to do that. Right there. I knew what I was going to do, scare people. Um, I like horror and I write horror because it's something that takes me out of myself. You know, when I'm watching a good, uh, horror film or primarily when I'm reading a good horror book, um, I can focus on that and Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, things are happening, but it's not to me. And when I'm writing, it's the same thing. The world is a terribly frightening place. Mm-hmm. But I get to control it. Oh, yeah. That's why we become writers, well, to control me, it. I can control the horror. I can also scare people. And I'm still that five-year-old kid because I want to do that. Hmm. And a comment for, or a question from uh, Carl. Uh, why do characters move towards the shadow monster or noise instead of running for their lives? Because there would be no story if they did. Right. <laughs> Can you? It would be the world's shortest movie. Like, oh, we're, let's let's rent, rent this cabin in the woods. Hey, there's a strange noise in the basement. Let's Hi. get out of here. Roll Hi. credits. <laughs> well, what was it? It was. I think it was Chris Rock. He said that only happens with like you know white people. It will go. There's something in the basement. Let's go find out. Yeah. You know, and you know, he says. We would go get out. Okay, bye. Yeah, Chris Rock, Chris Rock, and Eddie Murphy both had a routine yeah. about uh, the uh, yeah. the Amityville house. Yeah. And uh, Carl mentions we don't control it; it controls it. Well, it controls us. Like they say, um, ghosts cannot hurt you. It's never been proven that a ghost could hurt you. Doesn't have to. Human mm-hmm. beings, breathers. Will run down the stairs, fall down the stairs, fall out of a window, trying to get away from nothing. You know, what's a ghost? Nothing. It's a sound. You know, if it something runs at you, it goes through you. Um, real another ghost story. A friend of mine was working at um, Eastern State Penitentiary, uh, Halloween. They have. I don't go in there. I I hit the one wall, you know, like she uh, she did, going ah no, uh uh-uh. uh, there's not nice things in here. But he, if you go into Eastern State for the haunted tour, there is a little anteroom, and there is a door above with a window where the guard would stand with a gun, and just in case anybody got out, they you know blow him away. And that was his job. He'd go up into the anteroom, and he would go whoa, you know some kind of a monster or something, or you'll never get out alive. And there was a little stone staircase that went up there. So he was up there in costume and he was waiting 
and a guy in a prison costume came and says, you, you almost ready? He goes, yeah. Yeah, I said, and they see, they sit there and say, we're talking a bit. He goes, oh, okay, it's about to open. The guy left, and two seconds later, um, another guy came up and said, okay, are you ready? He said, yeah, I just told the guy. I said, what guy? There was, no, there was mm. no guy. Yeah. And he said that was the last time he ever said, but he didn't do anything. No, but he wasn't there. He said, yeah, he was. You saw him. He goes, yeah, but, but I'm never going back because, you know, now that he knew. Hmm. But, you know, um, the dark, no ghost. And if, you know, anything can frighten us more than we can. That's why all these haunted shows are at night. Right. You know, because in the dark, you know, come on. I've been to a few things um, in New Hope. We were doing a again for the movie, and we went into this one bedroom I was drawn to, and I was over by the bed. And a guy came in, the docent came in, and I said, "Whose room was this?" He said, "Oh, that was Mr. Williams, and he used to be a writer." And the vanity opened up, and the desk came down. I said, "No, thank you. I don't feel like writing right now." And they're both looking at me. What did you? I said, "No, it's okay." <laughs> you know, I apparently take these things very matter of fact. You know. So, um, I, I, I would have turned around and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, not really. I don't think so. I mean, if it were dark, yeah, because you know, in the dark, we how many people can, you know, in their own house either walk into a dark room or turn off the light and then walk out of a dark room, their own room? There's nothing there. Except there is. Well, you know, they, they, they say that uh, nothing is as frightening as what we imagine in the yeah. dark, right? And I think that there's real validity to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I just, uh, one of the ghost stories, one of the stories I read, um, this couple moved into a haunted house and said nothing happened. And they were told this is a haunted apartment. This is, and they kept waiting for something to happen. It was kind of like the yellow wallpaper because they were going crazy waiting for something. Brilliant <laughs> story. You know? Wish I'd written it. You know? That was a good one. Oh. And uh, uh, Carl clarifies, uh, it controls it in story form. Yes. Um, I don't decide I'm going to write the story. The story decides it's coming. Yes. Yes, there is definitely a feeling of discovery while you're writing, even if you plan it out, as I do sometimes, and, and think I know what it is that I'm writing. Uh, there's always a, a great sense of, of discovery uh, while you're doing it. And you realize, oh, my God, this is so much deeper even than I thought. You're like, whoa, where'd that come from? Yeah, or sometimes. I love, it, I love it when you're working on something and there's a story going, excuse me, excuse me, me. I need to get written. I'm like, oh, God. And you have <laughs> yeah. to put everything away and write this damn story because it won't leave you alone. Now, when you said you do um, an outline, uh, yeah. that, that's I, I can't even imagine that. I lucid dream my next uh, chapter. No kidding. Yeah, that's how I do it. So I do it in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when I'm lucid dreaming, I'm actually, I'm leaning back watching. He said, no, no, mm -hmm. don't do that. Do this. <laughs> You're directing it. I'm directing it, mm -hmm. which is a lot oh, of fun. That's amazing. <laughs> or insane. But yeah, <laughs> you already know that. I'll let my medication tonight. It's fine. <laughs> had, a, had another question. Uh, do you feel like there's a lack of cities as monsters? Urban life can be scary as hell. 
I, I agree with you as somebody who lives in, in New York City. I'm very familiar and have for most of my life, I'm very familiar with urban life. Uh, and I do feel like there is a plethora of stories that take place uh, in the countryside or out in rural areas where there aren't a lot of people. And I think that there is really ripe material for urban horror that that doesn't really get uh, as much play. So hmm. well, uh, Dallas used to be great at that. Dallas, Dallas, great at Dallas that. did the urban horror too, you know, at tea. So Mr. Yeah. Silva, if you want to, if you want to write urban horror, I say go for yeah. it because it is, it is a, a, a slot that needs to be filled. And you can use, you know, buildings, you know, because think of all the things that have happened in the city, like the shirtwaist factory fire that mm. flickering light, you know, it remembers um, mm. the native Americans have a term, the Manitou, the spirit, the spirit in everything, mm. a rock, a building and imprints. So yeah, mm. do it and uh, send it to, you know, flame tree. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. the first reader. <laughs> yes, Trish works for Flame Tree Publishing. If you guys have uh, are wondering what she means by Flame Tree, it's yeah. <laughs> authors of my, uh, you know, my yeah. publisher. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Carl had uh, another comment. I've had that a few times. Once was asked uh, for the time by a guy who seemed drunk. I answered and passed him. Then turned to make sure he was not following me. He was gone when I turned. Whoa! Cool, Carl. You're seeing ghosts. We all see ghosts. You know what a ghost looks like? Us. Yeah, unless they're carrying a head, but that's a cool, that is a cool story. We are all ghosts. We're just not dead yet. We're all ghosts. We're just walking around in the skin. Yeah. And maybe, you know, that's when we dream, we kind of flutter away and become our true selves. Hmm. Okay, I just gave Nick a story idea. There he goes. Let me just write this down. Uh... He's starting his outline as Yeah, he's starting his outline already. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what happens. You get writers together, we start, you know, giving ideas and going, oh, wait a minute. Hmm, yeah, that's an idea. That's what's so wonderful about Nikon and many other conventions that I've been to is you hang out with writers and you come away so inspired and with your creative batteries totally recharged. And they don't look at you like you're insane because we all are. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're just, you know, one of us basically. And you need that sometimes. You need to be with people who... Don't look at you like you're insane. That, well, Trish and I are the normal ones. Hmm, yeah. I mean, you know, what do you do? I sit in front of a you know, computer all day, sometimes scaring, staring at the screen, not doing anything while I'm writing. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, yeah. bye. Yeah. Yeah. The, as, as we predicted, the time just flies by. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my we gosh. didn't talk too much about books, but we did talk about ghosts and, you know. It took a great turn into those real life paranormal stories. Yeah. I loved it. Well, yeah. what okay, what do we do as writers? We capture the essence, the ghost of something and put it into words. So yeah, yeah I like that. Our, our lives are pretty much, you know, paranormal. I like that. Yeah. yeah ain't normal. <laughs> <laughs> They're not even pseudo normal. <laughs> Well, we, we have to do this again sometime soon. We have to. Uh, there's oh, a. Fun. There's yeah. Too much. Too many great stories to to hear. But thank uh, you so, so much, Steve. Yeah, it was uh, great. So, and maybe yeah. I'll get my computer fixed next time, or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or not. Or not. Or I'll learn Stein. Yeah, I could always do that. I too. almost said, you know, Nick, give me your phone number. I'll just start talking to you. And you can... Right, and then I'll just Trish just says, relay. yeah, yeah. Trish, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, well, Nicholas, if someone wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place to find you? 
Um, where can people I'm, find your books? Uh, NicholasKaufman.com. Don't forget that there are two N's in Kaufman. Uh, that's sort of uh, that's my website. That's my hub for everything. Um, and through there, you can find me uh, links to uh, Facebook, Instagram, BookBub, um, Twitter for now. Uh, and and uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so that's that's what you, and you'll find all sorts of information and buying links for my books as well there. Yeah. And for anyone watching or listening, that is in the, the, all the links are in the description. So oh, thank those. you. Yeah. And Petey, where's the best place to to find you and hear more about your your uh, stories? Well, <laughs> as a Luddite, look it up, Google. Um, you can do, um, you know, Facebook, message me, or, you know, PDKasic at yahoo.com. I mean, I don't have the wherewithal time or inclination to do any of the, you know, book this, book that. No, I, I, I'm pretty much, you know, I'm 70 for heaven's sakes. Come on. You don't have a website? No, I had one. Uh, If you go to pdkasig.com, it'll be somewhere in China. Okay. Because even with, uh, I won't mention the name of the company that supposedly, you know, had my uh, secure back, but yeah, it got stolen. So I never never did a new one. So, Mm. you know, just Facebook me and, or, you know, Yahoo me and, uh, I will answer any question for any writer and uh, I'll get you going. And people can find your latest book, Sebastian, at wherever fine books are sold. That Amazon, uh, Flame Tree, yeah. Yeah, awesome. you may have to order it at yeah. Barnes & Noble. Yeah. It's, the same with, uh, it's the same with The Stone Serpent. I, I didn't see it on the shelf at Barnes & Noble. It may not be there. Uh, you know, it's very hard. Yeah, and it is again a, the invisible woman going. Okay, so I basically have become invisible. Uh, yeah. I'll I'll show them. <laughs> you know, the one thing about being invisible, they don't see you coming. I'm yeah. telling you, that's your next novel right there, yeah, or maybe the right. next next one. A novel, uh huh. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, thanks well, again yeah. for hosting us. This was really yeah. wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for for taking time out of your Friday evening to come and chat a bunch of, about a bunch of crazy things. Really Very crazy it. things. Yeah, mm-hmm. but in good company, so that's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> so now I just leave the studio, right? Uh, oh, not yet. Uh, but thank yeah. you, everybody, and uh, be sure all the links are down below for everyone's books. So go and check them out. And of course, this will be uh, uploaded to the podcast in just a couple hours. So keep thanks for coming, everybody. Okay, thanks everybody. Thank you.